and Merry Christmas. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're just going to look at verses 50 to 58. I believe it's page 962 in the Pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 58. Excuse me. Let's read from God's holy word this morning. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our Father, this morning, help us to know that our labor is not in vain. Help us to know that there is hope this morning because of your resurrection. Help us to remain steadfast and movable because you, Jesus, have killed death and therefore we have hope to live. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to start by reading you just a short snippet from a story. Some of you will probably catch on what it is. He joined the phantom once again, and wondering why and whither he had gone, accompanied it until they reached an iron gate. He paused to look around before entering. A churchyard. Here, then, the wretched man whose name he had now to learn lay underneath the ground. It was a worthy place walled in by houses, overrun by grass and weeds, the growth of vegetation's death, not life, choked up with too much burying, fat with repleted appetite. A worthy place. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. He advanced toward it, trembling. The phantom was exactly as it had been, but he dreaded that he saw new meaning in its solemn shape. 
Before I draw near to that stone to which you point, he said, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are they the shadows of the things that may be only? Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends to which if preserved in they must lead, he said. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. The spirit was immovable as ever. He crept towards it, trembling as he went, and following the finger, read upon the name of the stone, his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. Am I that man that lay upon the bed? He cried upon his knees. The finger pointed from the grave to him and back again. No, spirit. Oh, no, no. The finger still was there. Spirit, he cried, tight clutching at its robe. Hear me. I am not the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been but for his intercourse. Why show me this if I am past all hope? For the first time, the hand appeared to shake. Good spirit, he pursued as down upon the ground he fell before it. Your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. The ghost of Christmas yet to come is my favorite part of Charles Dickens' classic A Christmas Carol. He is the phantom that brings news of what may come for those who live an unaltered life. These shadows that Scrooge is confronted with of his appending death. The news that ultimately brings change in Scrooge's life. After facing death, Scrooge cries out, Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. These shadows of my pending sad, lonely death. Assure me that I may change them by changing my life. See, Scrooge was terrified at his pending death. Terrified enough that the thought of death actually transformed his life. The shadows of his pending death led him to alter his life. Changed forever by these three spirits, he learned how to keep, Dickens later says, Christmas well. He learned how to live. He learned how to have hope. See, death, when considered well, meaning death considered rightly and biblically, should have an effect on us. Matt McCullough wrote a book called Remember Death. In it, he argues that an awareness of death and its implications for life is critical for a life of wisdom. He says that when the reality of death is far from our minds, the promises of Jesus often seem detached from our lives. For if death is not a daily reality then Christ's triumph over death is neither daily nor real. Death 
is our reality. It is something all of us will face unless we are Christ returns soon. Death should be feared. Death should be lamented. Death is not the way it is supposed to be. Death is the enemy. Death stands to remind us that the world is broken. Death, the destroyer. Death is a great separator. Death kills our hope. Death reminds us how desperately we need a Savior. McCullough says, we have no reason to hide from the truth about death in all its ugliness. If death is not a problem, then Jesus, he says, won't be much of a solution. But as we all know, and we all tend to hide from, death is a problem. In many ways, death is the quintessential problem. The wages of our sin is what? Death. All of us have fallen far short of God's glory. All of us deserve death. But the good news this morning, you're, you're probably all sitting there thinking, wait, this is Christmas. Why is the pastor talking about death? Because death, brothers and sisters, is not the end. This is what I want us to focus on this morning. The fact, the glorious truth that we've already sung about and already read about, that death has been defeated. Death is gone. There is hope because Jesus has defeated and risen again from the grave. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has put death to death by his death. He has killed death. He has overcome. And herein lies our hope this morning. So brothers and sisters, where does your hope lie this Advent season? Where does your hope really lie? Our hope must lie in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the main point I want to focus on this morning. We have resurrection hope because Jesus put death to death. Therefore, there's a therefore here, we must be steadfast and faithful in doing the work of the Lord. So we'll break that down into three things. First, our resurrection hope in verses 50 to 53. We have resurrection hope. Second, we have that hope because death has died in verses 54 to 57. And lastly, the third point, therefore, we abound in the work of the Lord, verse 58. So summing up again, we have resurrection hope this morning because Jesus has put death to death. Therefore, be steadfast, be immovable, be faithful in doing the work of of the Lord. Let's begin with looking at our resurrection hope in verses 50 to 53, where Paul reminds us that death is not the end. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Glory, heaven, our future with Christ is not possible for us unless 
we are changed. We cannot enter into the holy presence of a God as unholy sinners. Yes, we have been redeemed. We are redeemed sinners. We have been saved for those who believe. But here's the thing. Getting saved is only the beginning. We get saved in order to get sanctified. We get saved to become more like Christ. As Paul says in Romans 8, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And we hope in the promise of Christ that He who has begun a good work in us will complete it at the day of Christ Jesus. This is exactly what will happen at that day of Christ Jesus. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed. We who are once perishable will inherit the imperishable. We will be made like Jesus, conformed into the image of His Son. Our perishable bodies will become imperishable. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, says Paul, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. This is what Paul says to encourage one another with these words. As we already sung this morning, Jesus came to die. He came to stand in our place. He died the death we deserve. Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God Luke tells us, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus Christ crucified for you and me, for our sins, the death we deserved, Christ bore. The good news, though, why we're here this morning, is that Jesus did not stay dead. The tomb could not hold Jesus. Death could not hold him. I love Acts 2.24. God raises him up, Luke says, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by hits. It was impossible for Jesus to be held by death. Death held on and tried to keep Jesus dead, but death's grip was futile against the powerful living Son of God. The Spirit spoke, come forth, and Jesus rose again to new life. It was a hopeless endeavor on the part of death. Jesus, church, is alive. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have hope. Our faith has meaning and value and purpose. Early in this chapter, Paul writes, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your preaching is in vain. If Christ is not alive, you're wasting your time listening to me and I'm wasting my breath. And your faith, is in vain, Paul says, if Jesus has not been risen from the grave. But he is alive. 
He is risen from the grave. He is the first fruits of all who have died in Christ. So what that means is that when Christ comes again, all who are in him will rise again to newness of life. This is what we celebrate this morning. Christ alive. We all shall be changed. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is our resurrection hope. Why is he our hope? Because this resurrection of Christ has defeated death once and for all. Look at verses 54 to 57. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's start with verse 56. The sting of death is sin. The wages of sin is death. Our sin brings death. From the very moment of Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden to this very morning where you have sinned. Our sin stings us with death. And we know of the power of sin because Paul says that's why there is the law. I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every single one of us this morning have broken that commandment already. And we've only been up for a few hours. Because of our sin, we bear the sting of death. This weight is heavy unbearable but Jesus says death is not the end this heavy unbearable weight of our sin has been borne by another Jesus suffered the sting of our sin the perfect spotless lamb of God became a curse for us bore our sins so that we would have life and in his death and powerful resurrection he removes the sting of death and death has been defeated Look back at verse 26 in chapter 15. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that is exactly what Christ has done by the power of his resurrection. His sacrificial death, powerful resurrection, declares from all eternity death is defeated. Death is no more. Now here's the interesting thing. There is an already, what theologians call it, an already not yet tension here. Yes, death is really defeated. But guess what's going to happen to all of us? Unless Christ returns, we will die. So yes, it has already happened. Death is defeated. But yet death, Paul says, one day will be completely, finally perfected killed, gone, subjected under the lordship of Christ, defeated. His victory will be once and for all complete. The Old Testament prophets hold this tension. So Paul quotes from Isaiah 25, verse 8, death is swallowed up in victory. I love how Isaiah 25 begins. 
O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. Then the prophet paints a beautiful picture of God's final redemption in Christ. Isaiah 25, 6-9, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, and of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. That simply means it's going to happen. It will be said on that day, Isaiah continues, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Behold. This is our God. We have awaited for Him and now He is Emmanuel. God with us. We wait still for His final salvation where He calls us to Himself. Where death will be swallowed up forever. Where He will wipe away every tear. While He will take away the reproach of His people. But Isaiah reminds us, as we wait, rejoice. The King has come. The second passage that Paul quotes is Hosea 13, 14. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, this is fascinating because this is actually prophetic judgment against God's people. The people forgot their God, so he promises to return to them like a roaring lion. Hosea says, like a bear who is robbed of her cubs, so God will fall upon, attack, and destroy his people. Judgment to the people of God. But after judgment comes salvation. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? God, the judge, becomes God, the helper. God, the destroyer, becomes God, the savior. This is our God. And we have victory through him, our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been defeated. Death will one day be completely and perfectly defeated. And we who have waited all along for our God will be glad and will rejoice in his salvation. We will cry out together, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And the people of God will say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But until that time, Paul says, hold fast. Because we have resurrection hope, because Jesus has defeated death, let us abound in the work of the Lord. Verse 58 is a fitting way to end this series in Corinthians, as the church, as the people of God, listen to verse 58. Therefore, 
My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be like a rock. Be steadfast, immovable, but always serving, always moving, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I believe what Paul is saying in this chapter is this. Jesus, our resurrection hope, has defeated death. Therefore, we can truly live an altered life, as Scrooge said. Because these things are not shadows as if some phantom came and showed them to us. This is God's word. This is final. This is the Lord has spoken. And if the Lord has spoken, it will be. This is God's truth. Jesus Christ has defeated death. The church of God can live and must live for the glory of God and for the good of others. So church, we are to abound in the work of the Lord. As Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Author Fleming Rutledge writes, it's a, it's a little long, but I really like what she says. The deeds of Christians in this present time However insignificant they may seem, however vain they may appear to those who value worldly success, are already being built into God's advancing kingdom. In other words, she writes, Christians do not simply look to the cross of Christ with prayerful reverence. We are set in motion by its power, energized by it, upheld by it, guaranteed by it, secured by it for the promised future because it is the power of the creating word that gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Our labor is not only not in vain, but also has eternal significance, she writes, because it's built into God's future in ways that we presently see only through a glass darkly, but in the fullness of time face to face. What she's saying is that we don't quite get all that God is doing, and the small and apparently insignificant things we do seem to be just that small and insignificant, but she says God is building all of our labor for him into his kingdom. And he says our labor is not in vain. The cross empowers us. The resurrection empowers us. It sets all of our good works in motion. It provides the energy, the impetus, the strength for us to carry on. And Christ's resurrection assures us, guarantees us, confirms that our labor is not in vain. There is eternal significance because we have resurrection hope. Our works, by the power of God's Spirit are being built into God's future kingdom. So no matter how seemingly small or insignificant, our good works matter for God and his kingdom. 
Christ's resurrection power assures us that we do not labor in vain. And Jesus surprises all of us when he says, what you have done for the least of these, you have done for me. Christ's labor, Christ says your labor is not in vain. So this morning, to the exhausted foster parent, gently soothing a precious crying infant whose parents are incapable of caring for them, your gentle caring love is not in vain. To the parents weary and broken from their rebellious children's harsh words, your prayers are not in vain. To the husband whose wife is on the verge of leaving him, your faithfulness to her and to Christ is not in vain. To the mother who grieves over the deep and unmanageable loss of a child, your tears are not in vain. To the faithful wife who daily prays for her unbelieving husband, your hope-filled prayers are not in vain. To the hard-working husband who is barely trying to keep his family afloat, your hard work is not in vain. To the young person who doesn't fit in in school or anywhere because of your love for Jesus, your commitment to him is not in vain. To all who believe and trust in Christ and long for the resurrection hope of Jesus, your labor is not in vain. The gospel assures us of resurrection hope that one day the resurrected king will turn to his people and say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Your labor is not in vain. Therefore, have confident hope that our God is in the business of resurrection. For those who believe in Jesus, death is never alone. Death never has the last word. An empty tomb declares that death has been defeated. Jesus himself once stood crying and weeping before, an empty, before a full tomb. And he said, I am the resurrection of the life. And he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And in power and might, a dead man came to life. And a short time later, Jesus himself was dead in that tomb. We don't know how it played out, but I'd like to think the Spirit of God from his power and might said, Jesus, come forth. And Jesus rose in might and power, the living King, the powerful Son of God. On the third day, in power and might, he rose again. Brothers and sisters, death cannot hold the giver of life. He has defeated death. It is no more. He has silenced the boast of sin in the grave. And therefore, this morning, we of all people have resurrection hope. Death is defeated. Jesus is alive. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, abound in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Father, We give you praise because you take dead things 
and bring them to life. You've taken dead hearts, our dead hearts, and brought us to life. And we have the hope that one day you will take our perishable bodies and turn them to the imperishable. That one day we will change. And Father, help us as we wait, as we hope, as we long. Allow us to wait with rejoicing in the steadfast love of the Lord that is without end. Allow us to abound in your work knowing that our labor, our work is not insignificant. It is not in vain. But because you are alive, Jesus, we can work for your glory and for others' good. May we do that this Christmas season. As we wait for you, may we rejoice by working, abounding, and laboring for you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.